we have considered for the last five months the, the segment of shadowing, the shadow of the Christ, and considering um, some of the, just some of the, um, indicators that God had placed in the Old Testament of Messiah who was to come and what Messiah would be like. Um, the indicators. And so we have, over the year then, considered Christ as the Creator. We've seen Him as the, uh, the Lord of creation and the Lord of Sabbath. We've seen Him as the seed of woman. We've seen Him as the Redeemer, the seed of Abraham, the Melchizedekian priest, the Lamb of God, the Way, the coming King, our Passover, the light of the world, the bread of life, the living water, the mediator, the sin sacrifice, the fruit, first fruit, the cure, the prophet, the Davidic King. And last week, we looked at Psalm 23 when we considered Jesus as the Good Shepherd or the Shepherd. And so we saw that, um, that Psalm 23, that you all know it, it says, Yahweh is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. But as we considered that, we saw how that again was pointing toward the Good Shepherd. And Jesus said that he was the Good Shepherd. And so today we want to move forward with uh, another installment. And we, Lord willing, probably only have two left. There are so many more we could do. We could just spend so much time. I think of John sometimes at the end of his gospel, he wrote, and if all the things were written of Jesus Christ and the things that he'd done, the, even the whole heavens couldn't contain it. And so, um, so we could continue all, all year looking at the Old Testament, just shadows of Christ. But we want to look today at Christ being the manifestation of God. And so um, a passage that is uh, probably well known from the Christmas season and from Handel's Messiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, Okay. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You all know it, okay? It's an awesome, awesome song. Um, but we want to look, first of all, at the practical side of that, not just the prophetic side, which we'll be looking at the names of God there, the manifestation of Jesus Christ being God, and the fact that his deity is, is just, um, just magnified in all those names. But first of all, the practical side of that, um, looking at the fact that, that Jesus is called the light that is to come. But in that, if, if you remember the reading, um, as Devin read it earlier, look at chapter 9, look at verse 1 and 2. As we consider this, this light that was to come, we're told that, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Well, who are the people in in darkness. What is that path of darkness that they're walking on is, is ought to be the first question you ask. I mean, because that's the context of what verse 6 is all about. What um, for unto us a child is born is all about. There's a greater context all the way from chapter 7 all the way through chapter 9 and beyond. And, um, and very clearly the local context is about this light and darkness thing that's going on. And so what is the darkness that is going on? What is this path of darkness that, that people are walking on? Well, we go into chapter 8, if you would. So go backwards into chapter 8, and Devin read um, all the way from verse 5 through, and I, I felt bad for Devin with all the, the words that are there, but that's all for the context. We could actually have started in, again in chapter 7, verse 1, but look beginning at verse, um, verse 19. We're gonna, I'm going to hope that you remember some of that from 5 down through 18, and we'll refer to that in a little bit. <clears throat> but in the very extreme localized context, we see, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Which means that they are what? They are walking in darkness. And so the first thing we see here is that these ones who are walking in the path of darkness are doing so because they are following the counsel of man. Now, this is quite interesting. Um, that This is kind of an aside here, first of all. But we have... Before we even start talking about this council of man, I want to do a, a real quick aside on the condemnation of listening to mediums. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, we read, When you come into the land which Yahweh your God is giving you, you should not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall be not found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who, passes witch, who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or who is a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist. Or one who calls up the dead. Kind of redundancy there, huh? You get the idea? God doesn't what? He doesn't like these things. In fact, he says, For all those who do these things are an abomination to Yahweh, and because of these abominations, Yahweh your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless before Yahweh your God. For these nations which will, 
which you will dispossess. Listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, Yahweh your God has not appointed such for you. And then he continues on in that chapter with, remember when we talked about Jesus being the prophet? That was now the, the, the next part of it that comes in. But God will give you a prophet like me. Okay, in other words, who is what? Jesus. You're not supposed to be listening to all these medium spiritists, sorcerers, and all these other kind of guys, right? Ladies, usually. But you're going to listen to who? To Jesus Christ. I'm going to send a prophet for you, and we know that that prophet was Jesus Christ. Now, according to um, www.bestusapsychics.com, and I've looked at numerous um, psychic sites in preparation for this, this is a quote from their site. The state of Georgia isn't just one of the first 13 states to join the Union. It is also a hub of psychic and astrological activity. Our directory lists almost 100 different advisors in various parts of Georgia, with the biggest centers of this type of business being located in Atlanta. But you want to guess what the next one is? Augusta. In fact, I, I can tell you two right off the top of my head that are here in Martinez. you got Mrs. Graham over on Valley Road. Everybody knows that one. But we want, got one real close to the home. Anybody know one real close to the home here? Right around the corner. Literally right around the corner. See, a lot of times we think of, we think of this as the, the tarot cards. We think of the, the, the hand, you know, uh, the angel or whatever she is down in Washington Road or whatever, you know, and, and you look for the fortune tellers. They don't package it that way anymore. They're packaging it under counseling now. You go to counselors now. And hypnosis, hypnos, hypnotic counseling. Is that giving you any more ring? Right around the corner, we've got um, the Positive Image Awareness Center. And I'm going to read you a quote from, from um, their, their webpage. Hello, my name is, and I'll leave her name off. I have been chosen as a, quote, channel of truth, end quote. I was born psychic, and after a near-death experience at the age of nine, I became extremely intuitive. It first, it first manifested as dreams that would come true. Now, although the dreams continue to come to, to some extent, I am primarily a trance channel. My heritage on my mother's side is from the Mi'kmaq tribe of St. John's, Canada. My grandfather was born there, and he taught me the Native American ways of respecting the earth and the oneness of all there is. Now listen to this. I utilize these beliefs when I travel the United States working on healing the earthquakes, hurricanes, and tornadoes as aligned with God's will in his perfect timing. I teach everyone to believe that we too can do as the master, quote, or capitalized, the master does, reminding them that he tells us this, end quote. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, if you read that, you just happen upon that page, what would you call her? Do you, do you think that she calls herself a believer? Ah, but she never mentions Jesus. She never mentions the Bible. Do you get it? It's written in a way to deceive. Now, I don't know this lady. All I know is what God's Word says, that if someone does not line up with this teaching, in Isaiah where we read, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards and speak, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead? She calls herself, there, there are you know the clairvoyance, that, that means that they, they can see the dead. There's also clear audience, which means that they hear the dead. And then there's clear essence, which means they sense the dead. They sense the spirits. So she claims to be all. And notice what it says. She's a trance, trance channeler, which means that she goes into a trance. She leaves her body, so she says, so that she can commune with the dead. She can commune with the spirits. God says it's of the devil. So I'm not here to condemn somebody. I'm here to tell you, listen, it's becoming more and more accepted in the United States. You have got to be on your guard. This woman, if you'd read her, her, her thing, you would think that she was a believer. And she's blending Christianity with the Bible, or Christianity with sorcery, with spiritism. It cannot be so. God says it's what? It's an abomination. God does not take that which is an abomination to him that he's recorded over and over again and has stuck to 
and has now chosen to use it. There is only one who has come back from the dead that we listen to. Who is that? Jesus Christ. That's a little aside. Um, just to let you know that you know, we're not going to talk about the wizards and all that kind of stuff, but you know, a lot of times we can read this stuff and we just kind of put it out of our side. You know, it's not there. It's there. And it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. It's more and more accepted. In, in the army right now, we have Wiccan chaplains. Wiccan chaplains. I mean, that's of the devil. That, that's, 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 that's awful stuff. Anyways, Psalm 119, 105 says what? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 130. Does anybody know that? The entrance of your words giveth light. They giveth meaning unto the simple ones. Anybody feel like a simple one sometimes? Okay. If you want counsel, where should you go according to God's word? To his word. That's what he says. That's what he says through Isaiah. That's what he has said um, through Moses. what he says through David. God has never changed. He's always said the same thing. He is faithful and he is true. If you need counsel, if you want to know what the will of God is, you don't need to go to a tarot card reader. You go to Jesus Christ and go to his word, and guess what? He'll lead you and guide you. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17, where we read about those who trust in man and those who trust in in Yahweh. Jeremiah 17. I love this passage. Talking about the tree that's in the desert. It sounds very similar to Psalm 1. Jeremiah 17, beginning at verse 5, says, Cursed is the man, or thus saith Yahweh, I should clearly this is Yahweh speaking, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from Yahweh. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. But he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh and those who hope in Yahweh. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads its roots by the river and will not fear when he comes, but its leaf shall be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know that verse, right? I, Yahweh, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge which broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. I will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end he will be as a fool. Why? Because he trusted not in Yahweh. He didn't look to Yahweh for his counsel. He didn't look to Yahweh for his guidance, but rather he looked to man. He looked to the ways of man. He looked to his riches. He looked to his resources. He trusted in his money. Many times we are guilty of looking to the counsel of man in the guise of business. What's the business plan? I... It's kind of interesting with Gabrielle looking at um, putting in a, um, a bid to, take, to, to do a, um, a coffee shop. And I don't know if she'll get done with everything in time to do that, but that's always been a delight, and there's one's opened up. And so, but having to go through business plans and all these other things that, to have in order to prove to society that she, she can do this. Does that make sense? The sad thing is that many churches have gone the same route. We have vision statements, mission statements. We have... We have um, all the things that we have. We have our um, constitutions. We have all these things that are business-oriented. The Bible never talks about it. But we look to the counsel of man rather than the counsel of, of God. Now, there are things that we should do to be decently in, in order in the sight of men. But we can become unbalanced in that where we're not looking to Yahweh for our counsel, but rather we begin to pick up books I mean, it's amazing. Books by John Maxwell. And um, oh, who was the, the motivation speaker? Zig, Zig Ziglar. I mean, how, how, how high on the list those are, not by just the world, but by even Christians. And that people are recommending that you read these positive motivation books and these books on how to be a proper salesperson and stuff like that, rather than reading the Word of God. I mean, I, I, I encourage people to read this. I mean, I, when I go into counseling, people always want to... Talk about my counseling method. This is it. And my, my, my feeling is if I can get you, husband and wife, in God's word on a daily basis, letting God teach you, it's going to be of much greater impact than whatever wisdom I can impart to you. Does that make sense? 
I mean, I don't care what book I give you. I can give you a book by, by some of the, the really good Nuthetic counselors who would come from the Word of God, but that's still just a commentary on the Word of God. I'd rather get you to the author himself. Kind of makes sense, right? I mean, Jay Adams can write good books, but he only can write a book that, that God may be able to use later on, but God knows exactly where you're at. And yet we look to man rather than looking to God. And so Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah, says when, when they call for you to begin to look at man, when they call for you to look at, at, God, at man's wisdom, don't listen to him. Whose wisdom do you need to seek? God's wisdom. You look to God's guidance. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 1 is that same... The same motif coming from Jeremiah 17 with the tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in the season, and whatsoever it does shall wither, um, shall not wither, but, but prosper. But it starts off with Psalm 1, verse 1, of course, right? And it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. There is a process that we begin, that we take our eyes off of delighting in the, the word of God. And it says, but the one who doesn't do that, he delights in the, the, the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, what? Day and night. But when we take our eyes off of the law of the Lord, when we take our eyes off the word of the God, where are we putting them? We're putting them on the world. We're putting them on the eyes of man. And, and God says, through David, writing that psalm, he says, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, of just men, of non-believers, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Why? Because as you're walking away, you meet, meet up with somebody and you hear of, of these things and you just start talking. You ever have done that? I mean, I know how many times that Marsha and I, just in the, those um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when we were at the, the National Park or if we were at the, the, the crafter, crafter stores or whatever, you know, you just start talking to people, you know, and it's kind of that, that area where it's just a, it's a, it's a tourist trap. And so you've got a bunch of tourists that are there. And so everybody likes to, to to talk about where they're from and where are you from and all that kind of stuff. And so you're talking to people. But you could just kind of imagine that, how you, all of a sudden you're talking, and then all of a sudden maybe there's somebody who, who wants to engage in something meaningful, like about Jesus Christ or whatever, but maybe somebody else who wants to engage in something meaningful, you know, to them. And, and all of a sudden you find interest in it, and what do you do? Now all of a sudden you're not just passing them, you stop. So you can engage in that conversation a little bit more, and you stand there and you start to talk with them. And then if it becomes more and more interesting, what do you do? You find a place where you can go sit down and spend more time. And that's exactly what Psalm 1-1 is all about. It's blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the godly. The minute he hears, it's not of the Lord, what does he do? He moves away. Why? Because he knows the next step is to do what? To stand and talk. And then ultimately, what's he going to wind up doing? Sitting in the seat are the ones who scorn God. And you say, no, that wouldn't be me. But do we do that sometimes? Do we allow ourselves to be influenced by that which is not of the Lord to the point where at times we may hear something that's of the Lord and we say, "Ah, I don't think so. And God's got to get a hold of our heart one more time and cause us to be rebuked. Chris, you shared that a few weeks ago. And uh, how easy it is. You wouldn't have said two years ago, man, I, I'm, I'm going to go be a scornful. I'm going to be a scorner. But it's easy. We begin to do that. We begin to walk that path. And to, be, to get sucked in. It's kind of like a vortex. It's got sucking us right in. And we've got to be on our, our guard. Because we know that the counsel of the man leads to what? The activities of man. I mean, the, the, the Word of God talks about that. And that's why Jesus always talks about repent, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we know the word repent means change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, it will ultimately change the way you act. And so who you surround yourself with in their counsel will be how you act. And so God's word says so. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts what? Good manners or good morals. Be not deceived. Now, the, the idea there is talking about the, the teaching of the resurrection, okay? And so ultimately, you've got to be careful of who you're having surround you so that you ultimately don't deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the application comes down into anything. I mean, if they could get you to the point where you could deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
Could they not get you to the point where you're denying other things? Be not deceived. What did we read in Jeremiah 17 a little bit earlier? The heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, your heart can deceive you. I, I, I mean, one of, the, one of the major deceptions of the world today and the world's teaching is follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Really? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Why do I want to follow it? I want to follow God's word. If I follow my heart, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be married. You get it? Now, if I'm following the flesh side of my heart. But my desire is that my heart increasingly becomes more after God's heart and that I would love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if I'd have followed my heart 20 years ago, I wouldn't be here today. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Be careful of the teachings of man. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Really? I mean, I'm seeking to be an influence on them. Great. You hang out with the wrong crowd, and one day, guess what? You'll be like them. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that also shall he reap. If he sows unto his flesh, he shall of his flesh reap corruption. If he sows unto his spirit, he will of his spirit reap life everlasting. What path are you walking? Have you begun to listen more to the counsel of man than you are to the counsel of God? Just ask yourself, I mean, how much time do you spend in God's word and how much time do you spend in the counsel of man? How much time do you spend reading, reading the newspaper? How much time do you spend reading the internet? I mean, because I can't just say newspaper anymore because some of you probably don't want to get the newsletter, but you read the news on, on the internet. How much time do you spend listening to, to, to secular radio as opposed to Christian radio? How much time do you spend watching secular movies as opposed to watching uh, Christian uh, movies? I mean, really Christian movies. I mean, movies that are about, about God and the Word, not, not that just have a, a label of Christian. Maybe they mentioned God's name once. Sometimes not in the right way, too. How much time do you spend seeking God's face for the counsel of your life? Garbage in, garbage out. You are what you eat. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so now you have all the cliches. How does it apply? If we know the truth, then blessed are we if we what? Walk in it. What about the the power of light, though? See, we read in, in Isaiah 9 that those who walked in darkness have seen what? Have seen a great light. And this light back in Isaiah 9, is going to do phenomenal things. We read that they have seen a great light who dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, verse three, verse nine, chapter 9, verse 3, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. The first thing we know is that he's going to, he's going to disperse the gloom of despair. There's going to be this great joy that overcomes the people, that they're, they're, going to be, they're going to have been walking in darkness, and all of a sudden light is going to burst upon them. And when the light bursts upon them, they're going to have this great joy. And we're given two illustrations of this joy. First, the first illustration is, is like the joy of harvest, like those who have, have gotten the harvest. I know how fun it is when we get some produce out of our little garden. And I remember years ago, Many, many years ago, in fact, it was 90, the summer of 94, the first summer we had a garden. We got the house in September of 93. And um, we had planted just, I don't know, three hills, four hills. We just only usually plant three or four hills of cucumbers and some tomatoes and stuff like that. But anyways, one day I hear Marcia yell, Bob, Bob, you got to see this. Now, we, you got to understand, we, were, we have been getting cucumbers like you would not believe that year. We were selling them to fruit stands and vegetable stands. We were giving them away at church. We had pickles laid up for years. I mean, years. Now, I love pickles, and I love cucumbers. We're still eating 
pickles. I, I think that from a pre, another year, but, but we had pickles for years, okay, for years. And, um, and I mean, those who know Laura Garner, she had put out on, on talk radio trying to get us different pickle recipes that we could try. I mean, just, you know, we just had so many cucumbers. And, but one day I hear Marcy, Bob, you've got to come, come see this. I walk out, and, and there, bubbling out of the middle of the cucumber patch was water. She says, I want to touch that. I, I wouldn't do that. It had just rained. I mean, and you know what Georgia clay is like. So she took that first step, and, you know, down in, and the, the momentum was going. So the second foot goes down in. These new white tennis shoes are now orange. And uh, anyways, she couldn't get out to it. We had an aquifer running right underneath our garden. And so those cucumbers were being watered even when we weren't watering. We're cheap, man. We don't water. You know, we don't. You know, spend all that water, you know, and so, so they were, and they were just growing, they were just growing, they were just growing, well, do you know how much joy there was, how much excitement, you know what I mean, it, I, mean I don't remember what was happening that day, I just remember the kick that I got when I saw all that, and I remember, and I still, I'm relating to you the testimony of how many cucumbers we got, I remember the, the time when we had a volunteer pumpkin plant, we hadn't grown pumpkins, we'd bought a pumpkin, and we had, a, a, what do you call it, a compost bin. And one day I was out, you know, trying to turn the compost and doing different things, and, and, and I saw this plant coming up out of the compost. And I figured it was a squash kind of plant. You know, if you ever gardened, you know the kind of, the, the leaf it is. It's got to be a cucumber or a squash or a watermelon. or something. It just kind of looks like that when it starts to grow. And I didn't know what it was, so I kind of scooped into that, that, that compost, you know, and I grabbed it and I stuck it in a little, in a little um, pot kind of thing and just watered it. And then when it got bigger, you know, and I, I planted it. And so we were all debating what it was. It was a pumpkin plant. And we got a, a pumpkin patch with pumpkins like you wouldn't believe. And, and my, I told my neighbor about it. It was in the middle of the, the, the spring. And he says, well, Bobby, he says, that's really nice. He says, but when it gets hot, that thing's all going to die. And I said, boy, aren't you a nice guy? And, uh, you know, and, but you know what? It didn't die. God, God kept that thing going. And we had this pumpkin patch. We got pictures in it with these pumpkins that are in it. It was great, a lot of great joy. You, you know what I'm getting at now? That's what it's like. It's like, so picture the person who's, who has toiled all year on a harvest. I don't care if it's cotton or corn or, or wheat or whatever. I mean, they're putting the, the sweat of their brow into this thing. And, and there's almost a fear at times that there's going to be this storm that what? Kills the crop. I mean, you can get all the way to the point where you only got a couple days up, but you know you got to leave it in more, a couple more days. And if you've got a hailstorm come in, it's all gone. It's gone. How many times have we seen it in the last couple of years down here? Whether it's the peach crop, whether it was the wheat crop, whether it was the cotton crop or whatever, getting destroyed because of, quote, unquote, nature. And so when that farmer gets to finally harvest, how what great joy that there is. He says, that's going to be the joy of when the light comes in. When you're in darkness and you've been walking in darkness and the light comes in, the light breaks forth, that's what the joy is like. Do you remember that? Did you ever have that? Did you ever have a time when, when you felt that way? You had that, that, the joy that just burst forth into your life because of the light breaking forth through the darkness? If you didn't, maybe you're missing something still. For 23 years, I knew all about Jesus Christ. I knew that he was the Son of God. I knew that he died on the cross. I knew that he was buried. I knew that he rose on the third day. But I didn't know him. And I knew one night when I was laying in bed that my heart was ready to burst and I was going to hell. And if I didn't call upon the name of the Lord, that I was condemned for all of eternity. And I remember crying out my eyes before God, saying, God, if you can save this wicked soul, I'm yours. And I remember the great joy. Now, I've blown it a lot of times, and I, and I, I certainly have gone my ups and downs, but the joy, even this morning in Sunday school, you know, we were talking about Cindy, you know, about just the joy. When I get into some of those passages like Isaiah 50 and God is showing me, revealing something new to me and revealing his deity to me, it's just so incredible. I mean, the triunity of God is there. And I, 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 it's mind-boggling to me. And we're going to talk about the deity of Christ in just a moment. But, but it's just mind-boggling. How can he be three and yet one? And how could can God, eternal God, come and be confined in the finiteness of man? And I don't get it, but what a great joy there is when God is opening up his word to me. It's just phenomenal. It's exciting. 
it's kind of like the harvest. It's kind of like I'm a, I'm a farmer and I've been tilling and I've been watering and, I've been, and all of a sudden God is causing fruit to come out. Does it make sense? Do you ever get that? You're walking in darkness, now you're in light. He said it's going to be like guys who divide the spoil. Now this is a guy thing, huh? It's, we got this warrior mentality, you know. And Did you ever go out hunting? I mean, I know we, we, you may not have gone and, and, and conquered a city. I mean, how many of you guys have been like Alexander the Great? And, you know, anyways, no. And so, so maybe, you know, I can almost relate it as hunting, you know. Like, I remember the first year that my, my, my redneck mentor, Greg Moffat, took me out. And, and, and I, I was using his gun, and I was using his bullets, and I was using his overalls. I think I had his hat on. I don't know. I mean, and, and he was putting me in his spot, you know. I mean, he was, he's... And, but through the year, I started to what? I started to learn. And, 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 and you know, military mindset, you know, that's, that's in there. And, you know, and, and, and the deer became my what? My enemy, right? And, and I had to conquer, you know. I mean, I had to protect the woods of, of the enemy. And, and so, you know, and I had Matt going with me. And so the one day we were, you know, sitting there together and we decided, oh, it must be too late, you know. And so we got up. And as we're folding up our, 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 our blanket, you know, we, we heard something over the ridge, and I, I walked over the ridge, and there's a whole herd. <laughs> Flock, herd, whatever you want to call group. <laughs> Anyways, gone. You know, oh, but I learned, you know, and that military mindset. So what did I know? I knew that I needed to be on the other side of the ridge. And so I, for the third or fourth time that season, as I, as I learned and, and, I, and, I, and I checked things out, I moved my spot. And sure enough, on that, that last day of, of the hunt, New Year's Eve day, I don't remember what year it was. I was sitting at a tree, no blanket, no blind, no nothing. It's just me in, in these overalls sitting, almost like Ben there, but I was in green and brown, not blue. Anyways, <laughs> anyway, no, sitting at a tree. It's good timing, Ben. Anyways, sitting at that tree, just sitting there, and the enemy came through. So anyways, and clearly I, I, the Lord provided that day for me to get some. But what great joy I had. Now, I, I, I can't say everything on because it was illegal. Anyways, no. Anyways, I'll tell you on the tape. It was it, totally ignorant. Uh, I got three dough that day. Now, I, I didn't know my bag limit was two. I didn't know. I was totally ignorant. But I had given God. I, said, I, I had said unto God, the first one belonged to God. I believe in a tithe. I believe in a first fruits. And so I believe that the first one I ever got belonged to God. It wasn't mine. It belonged to him. It kind of was the first fruit of my flock. You know, and so the first one belonged to him. I knew it wasn't mine, so I asked God for two that I could share one with Greg. I've been using his bolts and his guns and everything. I thought, you know, at least that, you know, you know, and I, I didn't feel like I should give the first one to Greg. I thought that would be kind of wrong. I wanted to give it to somebody in the ministry. And so I distributed it to people who were in the ministry as like a tithe. And, and so, but I wanted, if I got another one, I thought I could share it with Greg. I mean, he's done everything for me, you know. Well, God decided I should have three. One for him, one for Greg, and one for me. That's why I saw it. Well, this is awesome. I mean, I was just totally overjoyed. Greg came in, you know, after the, the third one. He says, hey, she fell over here. And while well, the rest of them are gone. He just kept bringing this herd back into me. I mean, total, total, total ignorance. I mean, it's a God thing. It wasn't a Bob thing. You know, it wasn't, I was so awesome. I was just sitting at a tree, and this one looked at me like, you know, and after so much time of snorting and everything else, decided I was just part of the tree and to continue to move on. I don't get it. And uh, so anyways, so, so he says, you know, She's up here, and I'm like, oh, okay, I think I got one down by the creek. I thought I heard something down here. He said, well, go check her out. So he comes down and says, man, I can't believe you got two on your first time. You know, and I said, well, I took a shot at a third. And he said, well, let's go look for her. So I, I, we want that one. I couldn't find anything. We came back. He saw her sitting in a, in, a, in, a, um, in, a, in a ravine, in a ditch. So I got three. He says, man, I can't believe three. I mean, I'm just pumped. I'm just pumped, you know. And he says, now the bad news. I said, what's the bad news? He says, your bag limit's two. Anyways, so... <laughs> Now, you would think at that moment that would give me great despair. It didn't give me any despair at all. I was overjoyed. I had victory. I had the spoils of, 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 of winning the city. Do you get it? I mean, the enemy had come through. For, for months, I had scouted the enemy. I had checked its position. I had looked at it, and I had conquered. And if he wouldn't have said, Bob, she's over here, I might have killed eight that day. <laughs> as long as the Lord kept bringing them in, I had really been in trouble. Anyways, but I didn't know. Anyways, ignorance is bliss. So now I know. So now I'm limited to two, you know? So now, so now I know the regulations. But there was great joy that I had. I don't know if you've ever done it with fishing or whatever. I mean, I've been to Canada and had some really big ones, you know, and stuff like that. And the joy there is. And everybody's pumped, you know? That's the joy that you're supposed to have with the light breaking through the darkness. 
when you begin to realize that the counsel of God is infinitely better than the counsel of man. That the ways of God are so much more rewarding than the ways of man. Has the light broken through your darkness? I mean, has it really, really broke through your darkness? Now, like I said, so many times I do what? First John 1 says, if you say you have fellowship with God and you walk in darkness, you lie and do not the truth. But if you, can, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and that the truth is not in you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you say you have not sinned, you make him a liar. And so many times I'm walking in the light, but all of a sudden what? Like last week we talked about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I begin to, to turn and and, and I begin to listen to the counsel of the ungodly, and I, I begin to stand in the way of the sinners, and then I start to sit in that seat of the scornful, and God's kicking me up the side of the, the head or in, the, in the, the seat of learning, and, and, and reminds me of why life just seems despairingly. And I've got to change the way I think, come back to him, and seek the counsel of God in his ways once more. And I rejoice in the light that there is. But he's promised that he's going to break the yoke of bondage too. Look at the next verse. This is exciting stuff. He says, For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle, and the garments rolled in blood, will be used for burning and fuel fire. And it says then, in that the breaking the yoke of, of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. That word oppressor there is, is the, the Hebrew word... Um, Nagas, which means to tyrannize. It's literally a slave driver. It's a taskmaster. It is the exact word that is used in Exodus when it talks about the children of Israel being in Egypt. And remember when, when Moses first went to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go, and Pharaoh didn't only say no, but he turned around and he did what? He, he made him work harder, but he calls in the taskmasters. He calls in the slave drivers, and he says, go at them harder. Clearly, they got too much time on their hands. And again, I've shared this last week. I shared it a little bit in Sunday school. I've been reading through Uncle Tom's cabinet, right? And so, as I shared in Sunday school, I'm just, I didn't want to get into the part I'm reading now because I knew what I was going to be getting into. And so now Tom is, is on a cotton plantation down in, I don't know, Louisiana, Mississippi, someplace up along the Red River. And he has got one of those ones that plantation owners you don't want to think about. And... He's got a slave driver. He's got a taskmaster. Abusive. Cursive. Doesn't like God. That's Satan. And so many times, how many times do we want to return to him? Why? The light has come in and it's broken the yoke of our bondage. It's like Tom being on that that plantation and, and somebody coming in and redeeming him buying him off of Simon Legree and giving him a, a place of honor and a place of, of, of inheritance. That's what God has done for me. That's what he's done for you. You were working for Simon Legree. And he's come in. And he's destroyed the slave driver. Isaiah 42. Turn a couple pages back to Isaiah 42. Verse 6 and 7, I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. Who's Yahweh talking to? He's talking to a servant. Look back at verse 1. Remember, we've talked about this in, the, in, the, in, in Sunday school. It says, Behold my servant whom I have uphold. He's talking about Messiah. And so there's Yahweh talking about himself in a sense because Jesus is, is Yahweh. He says, I, Yahweh, have called you, back to verse 6, I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness, will hold your hand and keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. You have been as like a prisoner bound by Satan. He owns you. You were stuck. You were caught like Peter and James in the prison. And God has sent His angel to set you free. His messenger. God Himself came. The light has come to deliver you from darkness. 
Are you still in bondage? What is that sin that so easily besets you? Hebrews 12 says that we look into the author and finish of our faith. And that we should be what? Striving against that sin which so easily besets us. And he says, but you haven't, you have not done that yet unto what? Unto bloodshed. Death potentially. Bloodshed. In other words, you haven't done it to your hurt. How easy it is for us to give in to that pet sin. And we what? And we excuse it. Because we're what? We're weak. We're human. We're not God. And it's easy to to excuse Jesus, right? Because he was tempted in every way such as we are, yet he was without sin. But as we saw in Isaiah 50 this morning, that Yahweh Elohim is speaking to Yahweh, and he says, I will what? I will strengthen you. I I will strengthen you. I will be with you when the oppressor is there. And as we saw, the same promise goes to us today. He will break the yoke of bondage that we're in. He will stand against the oppressor for us. The question is, do we trust Him to do that? Do we believe Him? Do we really wholeheartedly look to Him? And as I shared this morning with Sunday School, again, with Tom standing against Simon Legree, and Simon wanted him to whip another slave because he was going to harden him so he could make him into one of the the taskmasters, the slave drivers for him. And Tom says, no, I, I can't do that. I'll work for you. I will be faithful, I will be diligent, but I will not whip another. I will not do that which is not right. And there's beating going on, and and he gives him another chance, he says, I won't do it. And he says, don't you know the Bible? You're a Bible man, you know the Bible. The Bible says that you're you're a slave to me, you're supposed to obey your, your masters according to the flesh, and he says, you don't own me. He says, I own you, so you obey me. He says, you don't own me. There's one who owns me, there's one who has redeemed me. And I will not do that. And so they wind up, he hands them over to two other animals that he has trained to be the slave masters, and they um, leave him for dead. And, um, but he's willing to die. But in the midst of all that, he cries out to God, Jesus, help me. And so even though Jesus allowed him to be beaten, this is a story, but if you read some of the Voice of the Martyr stuff, this is going on all around the world right now, that God allows his, his children to be martyred. He allows them to be abused, but he says that in the midst of it, he will break the bondage, now spiritually we're speaking, but also then he will what? Help them against the oppressor. Ephesians 5, 8, Colossians 1, 9, 14, John 1, 1, 9, John 3, all talk about the light, that Jesus being the light, and you being in darkness, and that he has freed you from the darkness. The darkness then being your bondage. And you have been delivered from that. You don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to walk in bondage to sin any longer. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that when Jesus Christ raised from the dead, not only did he give us victory over death, but he also gave us victory over sin. And I don't have to walk in it. When I walk in it, it's because I, I choose to. What an what a awesome thing it is. So, But let's go on to this prophetical application because we want to look then at this, and this is important. Um, again, much of this you've, you've heard in the past, but clearly in verse 6 we're told um, of chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 6, that there is going to be a child born to us, a son who is going to be given. And this child that was going to be born, this son that was going to be given, now understand that's a, that's a physical thing, that's a, that's a human thing. It was born, it was given. But note the four names that are given to this son, to this human. The first one is Peleuitz. He is the wonderful counselor. Turn with me to chapter 25, verse 1, where we read the only place where this is put together, um, the only other place where Peleuitz is, is together in the Hebrew scriptures. They're used together at points, but not together like it is in chapter 9. It says, O Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful counsels. Now, note, if you probably have wonderful things, your counsels of old. You, you have that? And you see things are in italicies and yours in italicies? That means what? It's not in the Hebrew. It's not in the original. Get rid of it. Okay? So what do you have? You have Pele Yuitz. He says, I will praise your name, for you have done Pele Yuitz. You have done wonderful counsel. You have done wonderful counsel. Now, in back we go back to back step for a moment. I have wonderful counselor. 
in, again, you may have, his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, but there are four, um, uh, oh, my mind is blanking out, two words together, um, pairings, say again? No, no. No, they're not combo words, but they're pairings. Um, they, they're two words that are, are together there, and one being more of an adjective of the other, okay? And so you have the wonderful counsel of the mighty God, the, the, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They're all going together, okay? And you'll see that as we go. So instead of that being two separate things, wonderful counselor, I think it's one. It's Pele Weitz. It's wonderful counselor. He's the one who gives wonderful counsel. And so it's the same thing. It's here. And so you look, and it says, for you have done wonderful counsels. The, the idea there is things of amazement. The things that you have, have considered to do and have done are awe-inspiring, is kind of the idea. And so, turn to 28, verse 29. Chapter 28, verse 29. This also comes from Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, who is wonderful in counsel. Now, this isn't yet Pele Yoitz, this is Pele Ba'yoitz, okay? Because he's wonderful in his counsel, and excellent in guidance. He's wonderful in the things that he does. The idea of the counsel there is not just his teaching, but it's his action upon his advice. Do you get it? It's all one and the same. You know, it's not just he thinks it, but when he thinks it, he, he does it. It comes to pass. And so he's, he's awesome in all that he does there. And then you can look at the New Testament ones where Jesus' teachings, his doctrine, people are fully amazed and they wander the word there is to wander they wander at his teachings they wander at his counsel is the idea and so he is the fulfillment of that now note when it says this child is going to be born this son is going to be given his name shall be wonderful counselor who is the only one in the old testament that is ever referred to as paleoites yahweh no, not christ see remember christ isn't there right it's yahweh but here we're told in 9 6 that the son who's going to be born is Pele Yoitz. He is wonderful counsel. So just kind of put that there. You kind of makes you start to think. Now, I have so many thoughts running through my brain sometimes. You just, you got to almost put yourself as a Jew. I want you to have a mindset of Jesus hasn't come yet, and you're reading this. Does it make sense? And so sometimes we isogetically put Jesus back into it. Don't do that. What would, you, what would you think the first time? Yes, in the Old Testament, the only one who's referred to, other than 9-6, did I? Okay. The only one in the Old Testament, other than 9-6, who's referred to as Pele Uitz, is God, is Yahweh. That's, that's the only one who it is. But now all of a sudden here in chapter 9, verse 6, we read about this son who's going to be born, who is what? Pele Uitz. And so it would... Like I talk about with the triunity and how it makes my mind spin a little bit, this one would kind of make you stop for a moment, you know? If you're a Jew and you're saying, well, you know, no man has seen God at any time and da 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 you know, you, you start to think, oh, wait a second now, this is kind of weird, you know? What, what about this? Well, then we go on to the next one. What else is he called? Al Gabor. Al Gabor. He is the mighty God. He's what? He's the mighty. This, this son who's going to be born is going to be called a mighty God? What do we know about this mighty God? Turn to chapter 10, verse 21. I'm going to start at verse 20 for context. It says, It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as escaped out of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to who? The mighty God. Who is the mighty God in context? It's Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. And so God, they knew who Yahweh was. That's his name. That's what he, he revealed himself to Moses. And Yahweh says he is who? He's the mighty God. Turn to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. It says, Ah, Lord God, sovereign Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness, chesed, to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is Yahweh Shabbat, the Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Again, the only one in the Old Testament who ever is referred to as al the mighty God, is, is Yahweh. 
But here in chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, we read that this child who's going to be born, this son who's going to be given, is going to be El Gabor. I mean, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the weight of evidence is starting to what? Start to mount. Well, let's, let's skip Deuteronomy and Nehemiah. You can go there later. And turn to Titus. Titus 2. This is so exciting. Start at verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. How many men? All men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is exciting stuff. I mean, Paul, in, the, in his letter to Titus, is very clear. He call, refers to God as a Savior, he refers to Jesus Christ as a Savior. He says they're both one and the same. And then in verse 13 of chapter 2, he just comes right on and says, Our great God and Savior, who? Jesus Christ. Well, do you know what a great God is? It's a mighty God. If you bring it back, it would become the mighty God. Our mighty God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He is Al Gabor. This one is mind-boggling. This is the one, Cindy, that we talked about this morning. This throws me for a loop. I mean, you've got a son who's going to be born, who's going to be what? Not just a father. He's the eternal father. He's the father of eternity. He's the father of everlastingness. He's the one who created eternity. That's what a father is, right? He's the creator, in a sense. He's the creator of eternity. And he's the eternal creator, the eternal father. I don't care which way you, 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 you put that one and put it there. Either way, it's talking about somebody who was born who's what? Always been. <laughs> Never has a beginning. How do you, I mean, how does somebody born and they don't have a beginning? You're God. Yeah. I mean, I just, it just, I, you know, I mean, I, I, at the, the job site um, a week and a half ago that I was just working on before we went to Gatlinburg, um, two Jehovah Witnesses came up while I was working. And so I, I went down the driveway. I figured that, I, I hate to leave the job site to, to do it, but I, they were going to come up anyway. So I figured I was be a gentleman and it was two ladies, older ladies, and I didn't want them to have to walk up. It was a steep driveway, so I figured I'd walk down the driveway. They're going to engage me anyway, so I might as well engage them down there. It was a lot of fun, you know? And, uh, but it was very quick because they, they both perceived pretty quickly that I believe what I believed, you know? And, and so they wanted to throw darts, you know? And, and, and I just shared the word with them about, you know, in Isaiah 40 to 48 and who Yahweh is. And I said, do you know where you get your name from? Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, saith Yahweh. Before me there was no other God, and neither shall there be ever after me. I said, there is no other God. You can't say that Jesus is just a God. He is Yahweh. He is the one, you know? And they didn't like that. Anyways, um, but, but we're told, no, no, he's the everlasting Father. He's the Aviad. The Aviad. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, turn here with me. For thus says the high and lofty one. What, what an illustration. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Revive us again. Oh, revive us again. Who will he revive? Those who are humble. Those who are contrite. Who, who don't feel like they got it all together. It's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. He does. But you notice what he says? He's the one who inhabits what? Eternity. And as I shared a little bit in Sunday school, what was there before Genesis 1-1? God. There was eternity. Eternity. We think of eternity as a concept of time. It's not a concept of time. It's a concept of God. In Genesis 1-1, he made time, space, and matter. Before there was time, space, and matter, everything you can comprehend, there was God. God is eternal, matter-wise. God is eternal, space-wise. God is eternal, time-wise. We think only in the realm of time with that. But God is everywhere present, is he not? It's not that we, we believe that he's in everything, there's a God in the chair. No, God is everywhere, period. And so we don't worship the God of the pulpit. Makes sense? Like, like Hindus do. They, they, they understand in a sense, they almost have this comprehension of the, the omnipresence of God, and yet they miss it out as being one God. They just think it's what? A bunch of gods and things. So they worship cows and, and everything else and have all these different gods rather than the one true God. 
And so it's important when you go to India, this little aside, and you witness to somebody like that who's a Hindu, they very easily accept Jesus as God. But you be careful. They need to accept him as the only God because they'll just add him to their pantheon of gods. Anyways, you can read the other ones. Jesus, John 14, verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Right? And Philip said to him, what? He said, well, if you just show us the Father, it would suffice us. And he says to Philip, what? Have I been so long with you and you haven't recognized me? I mean, chapter 10 where he says, I and the Father are one. The Jehovah Witnesses love to... But Jesus says, have I been so long with you? Now show us the Father. I'm here. Have I been with you this long and you haven't recognized me? I've given you all the indicators I can. I'm here. I am the Father. And so we're told in the book of Colossians that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Just a part of the Godhead, right? I mean, it was just a piece of the Godhead. God gave him just a piece of himself. God gave him just a little bit of the morality of God so that we could... No, that's not what it says. It says the fullness, the entirety, the perfection of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. What an awesome, incredible thing. The everlasting Father. He is the Sar Shalom. He is the, the Prince of Peace. And so, in Psalm 46, you can read that later, where it talks about, though the mountains be cast into the sea, and, and all these things that are going on, it, it, the word peace is never there, but it's the definition of what shalom is. Shalom is the confidence in God that you can have, so you can have tranquility, regardless of what's going on around you. Does that make sense? I mean, utter chaos can be going on in the world, and all around you. But you can have this stillness because you're focusing on God and you know He is. And that's why it says, be still and know that I am God. That's what shalom is. That's that peace that passes all understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4. And he says, be anxious for nothing but in all things with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God in the peace of God which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are um, noble, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are, um, I'm going to mess this up, um, well-pleasing, think on these things, and the peace of God, and, and the God of peace shall be with you. What's talked about? That God's peace is always going to be there. His shalom will always be on you, but it's all in a matter of what you think. Change the way you think. Do you get it? Your mind has got to be focused on where? On who? On God. If you're focused on the world, if you're looking to the counsels of man, if you're looking to the activities of man, where will you be? In total despair and darkness. But if your eyes are focused on the light, if the light has broken through, and you have the light, and you know who he is, he is the the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the, the everlasting Father, he is the Prince of Peace. If you're focused on him, what will you have? You'll have peace. Romans 5 says that it's in Christ that we have peace. We have access by faith that we can have this peace with God. It only comes through Jesus Christ. only comes through this child who was born, this son who was given. And so, again, whose path are you following? Are you following the path of darkness or are you following the path of the power of light? Are you appalled by the growth of the occult in the United States? It ought to be appalling to us. Say, well, I didn't know about it. I hope you know about it. No, I hope you're appalled by it. We ought to be praying. I pray against Mrs. Graham all the time. Not every day, but every time I pass and I see it, I, I just, it repulses me, and I pray against her. It's a satanic war. You're in a spiritual battle that's going on. Do you get it? I mean, that's why we're here. We're not here just to indulge ourselves in the world. We're here for the kingdom's sake. We're here as warriors. And there's a battle going on right around the corner. Now I know it. Now I can pray against her. I can pray for her salvation, too. I mean, I ultimately love to see her get saved. But she's not serving God. She's serving Satan. And people who go there will be led astray. And clearly by her website, thinking that they're doing a what? A biblical thing, because there's so many people who are unversed biblically. Woe be unto them. Has Christ broken your yoke of bondage? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Do you know him as the eternal, wonderful, mighty God who is the Prince of Peace? If you're here today and you don't know him, if the light has never broken through, we're not going to have an altar call. I'm not going to ask you to come up. It's between you and God. And 
like I said, I was 23, and I went to church every Sunday. So I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. I don't know. You don't know my heart. God knows my heart. But if you've been playing a game, I don't care if you're 10 years old, if you're 23 years old, or if you're 103 years old. Nobody's there. <laughs> Ultimately, you're going to stand before that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, that everlasting Father, that Prince of Peace. And you're going to give an account. And you cannot say, I never heard the truth. I pray that none of us will be on the wrong side of that throne in that day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. You are an awesome God. And Lord, we are so grateful that the light has broken through the darkness. That Lord, you have, you have come, you have helped us to see the light, that we may glorify you. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the, the light, Lord, as you were in the light. That we would desire to lead others. You've said that we would, should be like cities that are set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. Lord, I pray that we would be such. Thank you, Lord, for breaking the, the yoke of our bondage. Lord, help us to, to live as those who are in freedom, who are um, seeking to be enslaved, if you would, to righteousness and not to ungodliness. God, I pray that we would provoke one another to love and good works for your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.